0: Well, um, I'm Travis. If you don't know me, I, I don't recognize every single face out there. I'm usually sitting out there watching the preacher up um, here. But I've been given this opportunity to preach today um, for a few reasons. First of all, Chet is out of town. They're at a family event in St. Louis, and he needed someone to fill in today. Um, and I'll get into more details on that later. But we're going to be looking at the book of Titus, so open up your Bibles. So the the New Testament book of Titus, and there's pew Bibles there in front of you. If you need a Bible, it's page nine hundred and ninety nine. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't come on with one today, there's free Bibles in the pews. That's our gift to you. Page nine hundred and ninety nine. We're going to look at Titus three uh, verses twelve through fifteen today. So what what are a couple of things in your life that you spend most of your waking hours devoted to? Is it career? Is it family? Is it hobbies? Is it exercise? What is it for you, and why do you do these things? Do you do it out of responsibility, out of allegiance, out of, out of need? Do you do it out of checking off a list of things to do? Where do you spend the majority of your time and in those things, are you doing them to promote yourself or to promote the one who gave you those things, to promote God, to promote the gospel? And I don't ask you this question to judge you, because I know we all have responsibilities. But we juggle with selfishness in our time, and our use of time, and the things that we do, and why we do them. And you know, in the things we do, our time... We think our time is the most important thing to us. We want it to account for something, right? We have a deep, deep longing in the depth of our soul to be devoted to something lasting, something magnificent. And in that, closeness with others. We have a sense of wanting to be partners with other people in great things. So for example... How fulfilling is it for you and and us, literally, to be standing in this building that we partnered together to kind of work and get it revived? I mean, it was an empty building for a long time, and the the, the youth site over here, it hadn't been used in over 10 years. We literally raised the floor. Like, we got underneath it in the crawl space. Well, someone did. I didn't. I didn't get underneath there. But I mean, seriously, we... We scraped plaster, we painted walls, we repaired, you know, we repaired things, we fixed leaks, we, we changed hot water heaters. I mean, we did a lot of stuff, and, and we partnered together, using our, our own time and energy for something in the service to one another, out of love. It's really easy for us to look at a list of things as accomplishments and as checks off of a list, like we are do-it-yourselfers in this. Um, but no, what, what I want to help us see this morning, and through this little passage here in Titus that kind of summarizes this book, is that we are, we are, we are co workers. We are fellowshipping together to carry out something greater than we can accomplish as do it yourselfers, as individuals. You know, we can't accomplish a whole lot of greatness by ourselves. We really need, we have to have absolutely necessary the partners in the gospel. That's what we are. We were just talking about this very thing just a few moments ago when Caleb was, was praying. Um, as, what, we, what we're seeing as fruit of the preaching lab is, is happening at College Avenue Baptist Church, and we've been, been able to do that and serve these other churches for, for a few years now. At one point, we filled a pulpit for a year and a half straight because they didn't have a pastor. I'm just pointing out that is actually fruit of, of what we're going to see here in this passage today, of this, of this partnering together in service toward one another out of a gracious love as an outflow, as our hearts are united in Christ Jesus. This passage in Titus will see a snapshot, a little picture of a day in the life of gospel partners, Paul and Titus and Artemis and Tychicus, Apollos and Zenos, and others, actually, as they were devoting to true gospel fellowship. And it's my primary concern that what we learn from this passage here today, the underscoring, underlining thing, is that our devotion to the gospel is devotion to true fellowship. We're going to see that in three ways. In verses 12 through 13, we're going to see fellowship through gospel partnership. In verse 14, we're going to see fellowship through gospel service. And then verse 15, we're going to see fellowship through gracious love. So our devotion to gospel is devotion to true fellowship. So read along with me here in Titus 3, verses 12 through 15. It says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Well, the first thing that we see here is fellowship through gospel partnership. Now, Chet asked me to preach this sermon today uh, because it actually ties in very, very closely to his series through the book of Acts. And you can kind of look at some of the, the letters here um, that Paul wrote, inclu- including Titus, is like inserts into the book of Acts. Like, these are things that were happening along with the narrative. Um, and, and so things that Chad has been preaching about in his series, we're going to see right here in this, this little passage, and we see through the... The entire book of Titus. Titus the, the, the book of Titus is actually a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to Titus when Titus was on the island of Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean serving the newly formed churches there. Paul had been there at some point. He had planted these churches along with these guys that we're hearing about. And he left Titus there uh, to help edify and, and raise up primarily elders Actually, as if you were to read back in chapter one, and he gave instruction on who these elders were to be, what their lives were to be like—not specifically who they were to be, but you know what their lives should be like. What should mark um, a qualified elder? And then he taught a lot about sound doctrine and and, and how to be ready for good works. And then that's where we're going to f- finish up here today in, in chapter three. But we see everything that's that's happening in these sections. Back, actually, in, in Acts 2, and if you read in Acts 14, you see the same model in Acts 14 is what we see here t- today in, in what's happening with the interaction, the partnering, and the fellowshipping together with Paul and Titus and, and Tychicus and these guys that you're going to hear about here. So my proposition was our devotion to the gospel is devotion to true fellowship, but I want to kind of expand upon that. And, and I've formulated a thesis, I guess you could say, kind of an an extended statement of that, because I think it needs needs some unpacking, right? So fellowship is intentional life with God and his people through partnership in gospel service done in a gracious love for the edification of the church as we live as God's kingdom citizens. I'm going to spend some time unpacking that statement As we go through this little by little. So, the first thing we're going to see here is that fellowship is partnership in commitment to one another for the edification of the church in very practical ways. So, take a look there in verse 12. He says, When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you. Well, these men, Artemis and Tychicus, these were workers alongside with Paul and his ministry in the churches that they had been planting in this part of the world. They have been travel partners. They've been co-workers with him along, alongside with Paul and Titus. They were mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. They were in the book of Acts. They were in uh, Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians and Second Timothy, as, as mentioned as servants. Equal, these guys, equal in their ability to faithfully and selflessly serve these newly planted churches. These men were doing these works alongside with Paul as co-workers. Committed to the edification of these new churches. We are witnessing this actually right here in Redeemer. If we we kind of zoom back and we look at what's happening. We're actually being blessed with the Mayhans coming up from University Baptist Church. Partnering with us. So, listen to this. We have a preaching lab, which was like this vision of, of the elders when they planted this church. They want to train these guys to preach and teach. Well, their goal was actually to be church planters. That's not what's happened. We actually have ended up filling the pulpits of churches that are struggling, which was God's use of the teaching of these, of these preachers. So we went to University Baptist Church in Charleston, filled the pulpit down there for a while, developed a lot of great relationships, and one of those was John Mahan. And so bringing John into our circle, he was so curious about what it is we're doing here. He wanted to become a part of that at some point. And so over time, he's partnered together with Chet and the elders and have found an opportunity for them to come here to us. They're moving here, and he's going to be, they're going to be members of our church, and he's going to be working alongside us um, with the campus ministry, which is the edification The church. We saw this, we see this in various ways. We saw Phyllis going to Kenya. Uh, We see, again, all the preaching and teaching at other churches and the the foundations courses that we have. And and we have no idea how blessed we are in this church to actually be living these things, okay? So the next thing that we see here in verse 12, where he says, do your best to come to me, we're seeing Fellowship is also partnership through striving. So, fellowshipping and partnering takes effort. It takes striving to do these things. It was pretty customary in that time for these guys to not actually go to a church for permanent permanently. They would they were moving from church one church to another to help nourish it and then build up elders in that in that area in those towns, and then move to another church. We see this actually uh, in. Other parts of the New Testament, other letters of Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3 is actually another example of this. But, but the key word here that we, hear, we, we see him saying is, is to do your best. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for effort. He's looking for striving for, for excellence. There's a huge difference between perfection, striving for perfection and killing ourselves for that, and doing our, be- doing our best, striving for excellence. Let me, let me put it this way. Parents, and if you don't have kids, you can relate to this, because we were all kids at one time. When you, when you ask your kids at home to do something, whether it's clean their rooms or scrub the floor or help you outside in the garden or mow the lawn, Jared, whatever it might be, do you expect perfection from them? I think at one time I might have thought that I should expect perfection for my kids, but I, I learned very quickly I'm not. I shouldn't. It was wrong of me uh, to expect perfection. The same thing is true with, with the Lord. The same thing should be true of, of us in the gospel, not to expect perfection of one another, of ourselves, of one another. Uh, as, as I have given my children responsibilities in, in gardening, for example, they were So eager in the beginning, but I had to be right there next to them holding their hands with every single little thing they did, but they learned, and they've grown, and they've matured in this. Maybe they didn't do their best, but I'm trying to teach them to do their best. And now, Jared is actually mowing our yard for us. So, it was my goal by the time he got into third grade for him to mow our yard. So, I don't have to do that anymore. So, listen, God knows our limitations, And he's looking for faithful, willing co-workers in the gospel. And God will use our good efforts for the good and the edification of the church. So moving on to verse 13 here. Fellowship and gospel partnership will also motivate us to prioritize our time and prioritize our resources. It says there in 13, it says, Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and... Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. So again, he's saying, "Do your best to speed these guys along their way." These guys had been sent out at some point by Paul to this church, these churches in Crete. Zenos, he's mentioned nowhere else in the Bible, but um, we we know Apollos, don't we? We've seen him many. You see him many times in the Book of Acts, and you see him in other letters of the Bible uh, or that, that Paul wrote. And he's the one that Aquila and Priscilla met back in uh, Ephesus in Acts 18. He's described um, as one with eloquence and a minister of the word given by the Lord who was bold with scripture and mightily convinced the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So these were the men that were traveling along with with Paul, working alongside him as, as partners in the gospel. And so they were effectively edifying that church and needed to then be moved on after elders were brought up into those churches, moved on to to new areas. And so what he's saying here is, you know, don't just hoard these guys. These are really valuable men to this ministry. They need to be moved on. Let them go on their way because there's other churches where they they need to go. So that's why I say we need to check our priorities often uh, in the things that we're doing the next thing that we need to see here in verse 13 is that uh, paul says that see that they lack nothing so gospel fellowship also motivates us for the care of others needs so he's saying see that they lack nothing these these men were giving these men were giving of their lives it's hard telling what they might have done for a living at some point before this. They were there for the care and the edification of these churches, and they need, they need to be well cared for. He's not saying, you know, make them wealthy. He's saying, make sure they're well cared for. See that they lack nothing for their journey. Redeemer, it is our privilege and our responsibility in this as well to be providers of the gospel workers. Now, that might not seem so glamorous. But what I want you to see here is that we are actually partners in the gospel when we do this. We're actually co-workers. It's like the difference between, in, in the battle lines, you've got the, the front lines guys and you've got the behind the scenes guys. No one is actually really more important than the other because if you don't have the behind-the-scenes guys, the, the frontline guys aren't going to be well-provisioned. They're not going to get their ammunition. They're not going to get their, their rations, and they're going to starve to death and get shot and die. Okay, I know that's kind of a drastic example, but we've got frontline gospel workers, and then we've got us behind-the-scenes people who are here providing uh, the resources and the encouragement for that matter, actually. So do you see how we... Our co workers in the gospel, no less important than frontline workers. So, here in these short two verses, we have seen how we partnership in gospel work as we fellowship through commitment to one another, uh, striving to do our best, setting goals and priorities, and caring, caring for one another. Sorry, let me change my pages here. So now let's turn our attention to verse 14, where we're going to see gospel fellowship. I'm sorry, fellowship through gospel service. So verse 14, he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So we see fellowship through gospel service here in this, in this verse 14. So the first thing that we actually see is commitment to our believing family. And why do I say that? It's because Paul Paul uses the word our people here. He says, these people in these churches in Crete, they are the believing members of these newly planted churches, and he's calling them our, our people. We should be this committed to our people. You are our people of redeemer. Now I know not everyone here is a member, but you are our people. When when you meet a fellow redeemerite out on the town when you're out running errands, I know we've done this, we bump into people. We ran into Jennifer McCann, Aaron ran into Jennifer McCann one day and you just see people around town. There's something actually unique about our people. That's More special than other people sometimes, right? And that's okay. (laughs) It's a unique face in the crowd that we are drawn to because we have been united together in this supernatural fashion that is different than natural uh, affinity-based relationships. Guys, I, I pray that we would call each other our people. And if not... I ask you to just kind of wonder, ask yourself, why do you not call these your people? I mean, think of what God has done to make you his people. What has God done to bring us together, to unite us to one another? If you're not looking at this church as your people, why? Why is that? What is holding you back? I just ask you to consider that for a little bit. If this church was important enough for God to send his only son to die, to unite us together in a supernatural relationship, then this church should be good enough for us who have been united together by, by his supernatural love. It's important enough for the Lord, and it should be important enough for us. So we are our people. United together in Christ. So the next thing that we're going to see here is that fellowship through gospel service also requires learning. It doesn't come natural. We're not, as as, you become, uh, as soon as you become a believer, automatically ready to begin performing what Paul is talking about here. No more than my kids were ready to go out and start mowing my lawn as soon as they were born. Jared was ready to eat as soon as he was born, but he wasn't ready to mow my yard. Again, in this, we need need patience for learning. It it takes time for for us to grow and for us to learn. We need patience with babes in Christ. We need patience with, with one another. It takes time for us to learn how to do anything, doesn't it? Learning music, learning art learning whatever Ph.D. chemistry degree you're working on, it doesn't matter what it is, it takes, it takes time. And what's actually really cool in this is that God has provided people who are here to train us in this. He's not just leaving us by ourselves. And through this, we're partnering. This is, again, the fellowship we're seeing in this, is that as new believers in Christ, partner with mature believers in Christ, We're joining together, we're uniting together in this fellowship that we see right here that was designed by God for community, for the edification of the church. Before we were believers, before we were Christians, we were incredibly selfish. We still are, actually, but... Before we kind of opened up to this, we were incredibly selfish. And even our best works were called splendid sins, according to Augustine. And Charles Spurgeon even talked on this, and he said, Even the best man's works outside of Christ are nothing but varnished sins. Works done out of ugliness of their hearts and of our sins and depravity that we're all born into, we wrap those into varnish and we call those good works. That, that's what he's saying, is that outside of Christ, our good works are varnished sin. And I think that's a really good uh, term for this. Spurgeon goes on to say that good works and sinners, there's no such thing, meaning Meaning in sin, outside of Christ, we are completely incapable of the good works that this is actually talking talking about us devoting ourselves to and learning to do and being trained for. They cannot be done outside of Christ. It's, It's impossible. We may try with all of our effort, but we need Jesus Christ who did the Big G, the capital G, good work, so that we can do the little g, good works. So we're going to move on into uh, verse 14 here, or move on along in verse 14, where he says, devote themselves to good works. So we're going to see more about these, and then we're going to define what good works are here in just a few moments. But he says, devote themselves. It requires this, so fellowship through the gospel requires devotion As a way of life. This word devote here in verse 14, it it means just basically give yourself to. Make this a way of life. Make it about everything you do. Well, we all have things to do, right? We all have families, we all have jobs. We can't be out there doing good works all the time, right? But that's not what this is saying. What he's saying here is make your life work about good works so that in what you are currently doing, make those things good works. I don't want you to think that we're saying go tack on these other works that you need to do in order to be pleasing to God. Because like I just said, we can't do that. God alone has done the good work, capital G, while we do the good works, little g, because we all all our works are varnished sin. We make them about what we do. We make them a part of our life and we devote ourselves to them. Whatever you are, whatever you do, whatever you do in your job, whatever you do in and stay-at-home mom, whatever you do as as a as a homeschooler, whatever you do, you can be doing them for the edification of others, for the gospel-driven uh partnership in the the gospel for the edification of the body and the glory of Christ. There is no area of life that's not available for good works. So he's saying, devote yourselves to them. There's actually a reason I believe that he focuses on this so much in the book of Titus. I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but it's mentioned like five or six times in this book. That's the majority of the times good works is brought up in the New Testament. That's a huge amount of time in, in such a small book compared to the the sizes of, of of his other letters, right? So it's it's obviously an extremely important thread woven through his book, and it's actually placed strategically at the end of every single kind of major topic that he that he talks about. So it's a, it's an extremely important thing that he wants us to understand well. Partly because he says earlier in the book of Titus, he's talking about people in Crete who he calls um, lazy gluttons and, and and evil. He calls them lazy, and he's calling these people lazy. So he's he's encouraging Titus to he's he's teaching Titus to encourage them to change their lives and and begin. Working and striving and devoting their lives in a a new way in Christ. And that's going to take time. It's going to take learning. God is devoted to the good work of the gospel far more than we are. And He wants us to fellowship in Him and in one another. He wants us to be as devoted to this as, as a honeybee is. Do you guys know what honeybees do? I mean, I barely do. I've, I've learned about them a little bit, just mainly through school, homeschool. But these bees, these little bees are like endlessly gathering nectar day after day after day, little bits at a time, bringing them back to the hive. And these little bits of nectar do practically nothing to the benefit of the hive, but one trip after another after another, thousands of bees doing this over a long period of time for the good of this hive, for the health of the hive, they're actually bringing the life uh, juice, the honey, back into the hive. But it's done with a mind for the betterment of the entire colony. They're just working tirelessly, it seems like. But done with a mind for Christ and for the edification of the church, our little works, one at a time, they're cosmic. We need to think of them that way. We need to stop thinking of the things we do as, as insignificant and boring because they, they adorn the gospel. So then we see in verse 14 that it tells us fellowship through the gospel is good work. It's, it's good work. He says, devote yourselves to these things. Well, what does good work mean? Well, it means good work. There's nothing actually that significant about the words. It appears many times in the book of Titus alone because it's an emphasis on the concept, not the word, not necessarily the specific actions necessarily, but the context in which we, we do these things and the heart that's behind them. That's the importance here. First thing we need to remember in this is that Jesus is that we're not, we're not good. Jesus is good. Jesus was and is the good. And he performed the greatest work. We perform the little works as we love and adore him and want to see the church grow and edify. And without Christ, our works are, are not good at all. Those are the things that we need to remember as we come to this and we approach this. So what are they? What are good works? Well, it's like I've said a couple times in different ways. They are whatever you do in the grace of God to the glory of Christ for the edification of others as we partner together with God and the church. They are unselfish. They are profitable. They are handsome. They are beautiful. They are glorious tasks adorning the gospel. And 1 Corinthians 3 calls them precious stones, precious metals. That will withstand the heat of the fire on the last day. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 calls them. That's what Paul calls them in 1 Corinthians 3. But our works are no good at all without the finished and redeeming work of Christ. He is our mediator. He is the one who makes us acceptable to God the Father. And so when we pursue God the Father in anything whatsoever, whether it's adoration, whether it's in prayer, whether it's confession of sin, it's, it's, it's anything. It's intercession and prayer for anyone else. And, and even in good works that we see here today, anything that we pursue God the Father in are, is unacceptable and unapproachable without the work of Christ. And without Christ's forgiveness, without Christ's petition and His mediation before God the Father... Nothing is acceptable without him, and we need him to bring us and to bring our works before God and lay them at his feet. And then in Christ's finished work on the cross, they are completed. Then they are fulfilled in him. Now, there are obviously things you can think about that aren't good work that would be done in sin and selfishness. And again, if you are in Christ Somehow Christ works that out for you. That's why we need to prayerfully consider the things we do and prioritize our time. Jesus makes our works acceptable to God. Good works are modeled to us in this, in this passage. So if you want to see a few specific things, if you're still questioning what they are in your mind, well, we see what Paul and Titus and Artemis and Tychicus and Apollos and Zenus. Are doing here and what they're talking about as they partner together in this good gospel work we can see the examples of what they're doing here they're sending one another to these towns so that they can preach and be provided for and see that they lack nothing and co-working together but we can also see what you know we can think about what this means for us here in the context of Redeemer And we need to think and pray about what that might mean for us as a church or you individually as you co-work together with other people in the gospel. I can't tell you specifically what they're going to be because everyone is going to be a little bit different. As we partner together, each of us are going to carry out things a little bit differently in the service of the gospel done in this gracious love for the edification of the church as God's kingdom citizens. We work together. So fellowship through the gospel service also requires discernment as we see here further along in the verse. So he says as to help cases of urgent need. So he's saying let our people learn to devote themselves to good work so as to help cases of urgent need. Well, what is that? What does he mean, urgent need? Well, urgent problems. Urgent things that come up, maybe. I don't know specifically what he's saying here, but He's saying, don't lay back on your lazy butts, you Cretans! Get up and do some work. <laughs> I mean, you know, church requires work, right? It's not super spiritual things sometimes. It requires sweeping a floor and, you know, vacuuming and dusting and cleaning. I mean, but, you know, those are just some of the things that we do, right? But it can all be good works, and it, and it should be. And sometimes we need to respond urgently, but that that requires discernment. He's not saying just you know, jump at every single opportunity that you see has has a need because sometimes we need to be careful in the way we pursue these needs. So we're going to move along here. Verse 14, he finishes up there and he says, fellowship through gospel service is not unfruitful. He's saying these things are meant to not be unfruitful. He's saying don't be unfruitful in these things because simply this word unfruitful here, trace it back into kind of where it came from out of, out of Old Testament imagery, out of Christ's use of it in the, in the uh, cursing of the unfruitful fig tree, s- essentially means unbelief is really what he's getting at here. He's saying don't, you, know, you can't be unfruitful in God's work. God is not unfruitful. He's not going to allow the works that are done for his true edification of his church to be unfruitful. So, unfruitfulness is unbelief is essentially what, what, it's, what it's meaning here. So if, if you're here today and you realize, you know, I always tried to do good works. I've always tried to please God in what I'm doing. I've never pondered the fact that you know, my works are varnished sin before a holy God and I've never pondered the fact that Christ's completed work on the cross did something miraculously invisible to transfer me into his his gracious loving son. Have you never pondered the fact that you're separated from Christ because of your sin, guys listen I'm going to share a story here in a few minutes. I come from a background where that was the case. like I thought that I was saved because of my works, and it's it's and it's common. let me just put it that way. But if you're sitting here today and you think that might be you, guys. Your works outside of Christ, they're nothing but varnished sin and they're not going to bring you near enough to Christ because guys, God is is an infinite, holy and righteous God that no amount of works can pile up high enough. All they do is they're going to dig you deeper. Because I've seen it happen. I saw it. I see it happening. I'm not saying I see it here, but I, I've seen it in my life. I saw it in the church I grew up in. But believers in Christ Jesus, your job is to live a life zealous for good works, motivated out of this love and unity and desire to edify the church, prayerfully discerning, and as Spurgeon says, unselfish, motivation and a concern for the good of God and man and not for the inferior concern of of your selfish motivations. So we've seen here in this section um, several things. How we're we're called to a gospel service out of commitment to fellow believers. Uh, It requires learning. We've seen how this is a way of life. We've seen how how and what good works are, essentially. What good work is, we've seen that they're discerning and that they are fruitful in God. So now let's take a look at the final verse here where we see fellowship through gospel love. So in verse 15, we see fellowship through gospel love draws us together. Let's read this again. It says, all who are with me, Send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Gospel love is an unnatural love to the world. It's not something that we naturally understand. It's not something that we're necessarily born with. In the gospel, we are drawn to one another in such a way that makes an invisible gospel visible. Now, the gospel, if you think about it, is actually an invisible thing. We can't see it. All we can see are the effects of it, no more than you can actually see the wind. You see the effects of the wind, right? God's intent for our relationships are motivated out of a spirit-enabled supernatural love in the gospel and not similarities or not likings of other people, not affinity-based relationships, okay? So bear with me here. In gospel relationships, we are united together by God's love. If we were a church that just loved one another because of things we liked about each other, what would happen if those things were stripped from us? So let's say you liked me because I wore the right clothes or I I had the right hairdo, you know, I had the coolest job in town, and I went bald, I lost my clothes, and I got laid off my job. Are you still going to like me? No, Caleb wouldn't like me. <laughs> Caleb has the coolest job in town now, by the way. Every time a squad car drives by, I'm like, is that Caleb? Where is he? He's so cool. I want to be like Caleb. Caleb. <laughs> So what if we just loved one another because of the things we liked about each other? Well, that is what Greg Gilbert says in Compelling Community or is called Gospel Plus Communities. They are where we seek to attach something to the gospel and say, I love this person because of the gospel and this thing over here too. I'm, just, I'm attaching it to the gospel. And I'm saying, okay, I, I want to go to church and... Hang out with, like, 40-something men who, you know, dress and look like me and have jobs like me because that's where I feel comfortable, right? Well, again, if all those things were just stripped down bare, what would we really be loving? Are we going to be loving people out of this unconditional love that Christ has given us? <laughs> or are we going to be loving them for who, what, we, what we want, you know? I, I, that's the that's the difference here, and that's that's why it's called gospel plus. It's because we're we're loving somebody because of something added onto the gospel, and I think that's incredibly helpful for me to like see this difference because rather than than that, rather than gospel plus, okay, we we want something else. We want something radically different, something that's actually unnatural to us. We want our relationships to be marked by a supernatural unnatural characteristic that comes from God alone, who loves unconditionally. Not because of who we are, what we are, what we've done, or how we're trying to accomplish it, or how cool we think we might be. We want to love others the same way. We want to be drawn to one another. And I'm, and I'm, just, and I'm just referencing the verse because these things are, are important uh, here. But Paul is sending greetings For those who are all in the faith. They're greeting them out of love and faith from one another because they're committed deeply to one another. And I and I want and I pray, I pray that I would be marked by this, I pray that our church would be marked by this, our community group. This is, we can be praying for this. This is supernatural love. And this is how the gospel calls us to love because what this does is it tears down the walls of hostility, the dividing walls that cause us. To sort of stay at a distance from one another and, and say, no, I don't really feel so comfortable with that person over there sitting across the sanctuary from me. I'm gonna stay over here in my seat where I stay, where I like to be comfortable. Well, I dare you to mix that up just a little bit. See, and just, just see what happens. Because I think it's too easy for us to get comfortable where we are and who we feel comfortable with. Okay? We also see here fellowship through gospel love also creates in us us, mutual love. And we see a mutual love here in this verse where he says, greet those who love us in the faith. There is an amazing sense of togetherness in the gospel, isn't there? Something that is, again, so unnatural for us, I think, but also something that, like like I referenced to in the introduction, that we are, we want, like, if you really think like in the depths of your soul, you really want to be united with something huge, something magnificent. And this God, who supernaturally or, you know, loves us unconditionally, draws us to himself in order to redeem us, to be a people who are zealous for these good works, Paul says a few verses earlier, so that we might be united. When God saves us, he removes this, this dividing uh, wall that's due to our sin and unites us into a body of people who are so much different than us. They come from so many different backgrounds and cultures and, and races and education and ages. God removed the barrier for us. He united us to himself. We can... Love his people because of that. We can be, because we are united to them in such a new and unique and supernatural way. I just, I think this is truly glorious that God included us in this rather than leaving us out in the cold and dark and wet and miserable streets because of our sin. Forever, actually. Fellowship through gospel love is also a blessing of grace to all. You see what he says here? He says, grace be with you all. Paul finishes this by saying, grace be with you all. We are fellow heirs in Christ, recipients of unmeasured grace. We are called to be like our older brother, Jesus, and love one another well. We get to love on one another. We get to be gracious to one another. That's in talk. That's in action. And and everything we do, we get, to, we get to be that way different than the world around us. I'm sorry if I don't interact with you this way, as I should. This is something I struggle with. You know, It's something we all probably struggle with a little bit. We are called to a gracious living and a gracious time together in all that we do. So we have seen in this passage a bunch of different things, all, but I'm going to consolidate it here in the main three points, which were fellowship through gospel partnership, fellowship through gospel service, and fellowship through gospel love And I just I encourage you to, to, to read this passage more and think about it in terms of your life and the context of our church here and see how this might Cause you to recognize we are co workers, partnering together for the edification of this church. I want to finish with a a very personal story of how God graciously saved me out of a very distorted view of this idea, of these concepts. You see, I'm literally standing here before you today by the grace of God. And I grew up in a church um, as a kid that was very works-based. Had a very distorted view of what it meant to, uh, to. To love God. Actually, I mean, there were there were a lot of things messed up. But I mean, primarily, the church taught that you and your you were essentially saved by your works, and that others knew you. This was actually another big emphasis that others knew you by your work. Others knew you by your good works. <laughs> I think. I mean, I can't even imagine what people would have thought of God if they'd seen the way I had acted. I mean, it it was horrendous. And I called myself a Christian, above all things. I was taught that as a child, that if I treated people badly, I would go to hell. And that I needed to be afraid of Baptists, actually, because they would preach a gospel to me that was different than what I grew up with. I mean, I'm being serious. I'm not joking around. I was taught this as a kid. I was confused. I was, I was unsure of things. I was, uh, I, was, I was angry. I didn't understand God. I didn't know, you know, I, I was running from one thing to the next. I didn't understand. I was blinded. I was, I was in unbelief. I was striving in myself t- to be my own savior. Is essentially what I was I was doing. And guys, there are billions of people like this, whether they know it or not. And we rub shoulders with them all the time. We work with them. We're neighbors with them. So years later, years later went by. Years went by. And God in his mercy sent a gospel co-worker into my life. It was a very unique man, a very unique situation, but it happened through a series of of really uh, difficult circumstances in my life, in our life together. God brought someone into my life who shared the gospel with me for the first time in my life when I was uh, 29, I think. I was 29 years old when I first heard the gospel, I thought I was a Christian. I thought that I had done what I needed to do even though I was so confused and distorted. I thought, you know what? If I just try hard enough, I'll get this. You know, God, he's a pretty nice guy. He'll he'll give me a second chance. So if I don't get it right now, well, I guess when I die, I'll somehow figure this out. Like that was my crazy view. Well, I heard the gospel and I responded in faith. Even though I was still confused by all the stuff that I had was raised with, and I won't bore you with the next ten years of my life, but here I am today with a reforming understanding. Okay, I'm I'm not nowhere near an expert here, but I have a reforming understanding of biblical views, of gospel, of of fellowship, of partnering, of co-working together with you guys in this church and other people in other churches. So that people who were like me, who, people like, who, like I was at one time, would see the God who he, for who He is, for, see, for seeing Him for the Savior of the world, so that they are no longer trying in their own effort to save themselves. I have come to such a far better understanding of what fellowship really is, and what good works really is. I am still growing in this. I am imperfect in a lot of ways. I'm seriously trying to grow in this. So, listen to me. I've said a lot here. Hopefully, you haven't tuned me out. Hopefully, I haven't gone over my time. But I want you to hear this there, there are a lot of people in this world who think and act the way that I used to. They're trying in their effort to earn God's favor. And it is our privilege, our responsibility, our joy to partner together as we hear the word being preached and we go out from here and we go eat lunch and we see people we know in town and we, we can share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I'm not trying to judge anyone. I'm not trying to say, go do this. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm, just, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to edify you. I'm trying to spur us on. Because these people who are out there trying to earn God's favor, they are working themselves into a pit. They are, they are working themselves up into a frenzy, and they are going absolutely nowhere, wrapped in varnished sins. And I know this sounds harsh, but Charles Spurgeon says again, good works, they are the rarest thing in the world. Meaning they do not naturally exist in the world in our effort They require the work of God to sanctify us first and to change our nature so that we can have the motive of God's heart in our work and what we're doing. People are perishing in their attempt to save themselves out of their natural works. And we are called as a church to to bring these people with us and say, no, this is the God that saves. Pray Pray for the people you know. Pray this isn't the case of the unbelieving people that you know. And reach out to them with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to a hurting world. Because that will be the best work that you can do. So we want a fellowship. We want to live a life of intentionality that honors God in a way through in which we partner together in the gospel done in gracious love and edification for the church. So may our devotion to the gospel, the devotion to true fellowship. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, God, you are a God of so much grace and mercy who have saved a people out of striving for ourselves to be our own saviors ever since Adam and Eve actually. Nothing's changed. We're, we continually strive in our own effort to try to save ourselves. God, you entered into that and you brought your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth who lived a model life for us, one that we could never live, one that we want to live, one that we can't live in perfection and beauty and grace in teaching and edifying and saving as the capital G work that we heard about here today and God I ask that you would be working in our hearts in showing us what the true fellowship of the church is really meant to be like God continue to work on my heart continue to work on Redeemer's heart and I pray God, for the, the preaching that's going to happen at College Avenue Baptist Church as we go and preach over the next couple of months, Lord, that we could be taking this message of, of what a gospel-oriented church looks like. God, please continue to grace us with your word through faithful preachers and teachers. Or let us co-work together and partner together with these men in this mighty work that we would know we are no less important, and this should not be boring work to us, but this is glorious work. So God, thank you so much for what you have done to bring us into your good work. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.